Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we're going to be talking about the difference between training an athlete at the beginning of their career or a youngin' versus youngin'. training an athlete moving towards the end of their career or, or, or an olden, I guess. Would that be olden? elderly no 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 be geriatric geriatric ah geriatric for sports that's a bad word like that's like a mean word go to go tell like whatever old athlete you're working with hey you're a geriatric no, well, you're gonna I get don't... fucking punched ah well i think they'll laugh i have good rapport with my clients but alex so there is a difference there's a insurmountable difference start with the youngins how, the youngins. What do we do? Those, are the, those uh, that's good because you get a whole process in front of you, right? Like you're not. <laughs> this is gonna sound pretty pessimistic. They're not as screwed up by everybody else, <laughs> right? That's so which, true, though. <laughs> which with the young kids, you get to introduce them to a, a more or less correct training paradigm. You know, yeah. like here's the scope of things and here's why we're focusing on what we're focusing on right now. And here's the roadmap down the line. You know, you get more of a base and you've been through a little bit less shit most of the time. So you don't have to pay as much attention to some of the correctives or injury prone uh, or not injury prone injury history. That is so, and, and they have point blank. They have a higher work capacity, right? Yeah. They have a higher capacity. You can work them harder. They recover better. And then we can come back. And hit them again the next session but youngins are exciting um and old ones are exciting too for different reasons but the young ones are exciting because for me i guess you get to contextualize and teach a little bit more where you're at on the roadmap versus um with the old ones where we're, we're kind of stuck where we're at we can still have a roadmap it's just a shorter one yeah it's it's cool because you get to lay the foundation, like Alex was saying. Like they they're not as fucked up when they come to you, <laughs> um, like point blank. <laughs> like it, you get to lay the foundation. Like I was I was having this talk yesterday with one of my athletes, Caden, um, and he was we were just joking around because I I mean it was a shit day. It was like on that border of we're getting into aerobic uh, power work, so yeah. it sucks but we get to start from ground zero. I don't have to rush this process because he's 34. And I told him, I'm like, Hey, we're going to do this right, but doing it right blows. So sorry, dude. Yeah. And I got to explain like the difference between, cause he's seen other athletes I've worked with that are older do different things. It's cause I had to do an abbreviated version of aerobic power development because I just didn't have the years to get it right with that athlete. I have the years to get that right with Caden. So I told him, I'm like, I just laid out as a really cool education moment, to be honest, where I got to lay out where I wanted and where we were going with this entire process and what it's going to look like over the next nine months before he decides to inevitably turn pro. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you bring up a good point with like an aerobic push, because I think there's really two qualities in a training atmosphere that you can build up really high and really well once. And then for the rest of your career, you're just maintaining them. Yes. Right. I think. Aerobic capacity is one of those things, right? You're going to mm -hmm. take the six to nine months to whatever it is to build up a really, really strong aerobic base, right? We're going to do a lot of long, slow distance work. We're going to do some threshold training. We're going to get that quote unquote cardiovascular box checked. And then for the rest of your career, and like 
maybe some points in out of camp when we get there or whatever you have to emphasize a little more but for the most part you're just maintaining it the rest of your career right. and i think the second one is absolute strength you mm. really just need to get strong once we need to put really heavy emphasis on getting really strong trap bar deadlifting two and a half times your body weight you know um you know squatting two times your body weight getting to bench press you know 1.5 or more times your body weight some benchmarks right there like that you hit that once and then we're going to maintain it and keep it around ballpark you know i don't need to really test your trap bar deadlift like if you're uh let's say you're 155 or you weigh 175 out of camp or whatever if we can trap bar deadlift 400 pounds like I might test that. We're good. Once or twice a year, but yeah, we're we're freaking good. We're yeah. hitting reps at three sixty five. Dope. We're done. Yeah. You know, it's good, right? So, um, I feel the that, I feel yeah. the same way about grip strength. I okay. think grip strength is one of those things that once you get it, you just have to maintain it. It's not just going to necessarily yeah. go away unless you have a traumatic injury. Yeah. But for the most part, like grip strength is one of those things that is extremely valuable in every facet of MMA. Boom. If you have a harder grip strength, you can squeeze in, you can actually end on, or you can squeeze at the end of your punch. You're going to irradiate through the arm. You're going to have more stiffness of the limb, right? That's one of the things that your grip strength does. Grappling, obviously grip strength is extremely important there. So everything in MMA is an extremely valuable skill to front load. And once you get it, just like Alex was saying about every absolute strength movement, you get to stick with it and just maintain it as you go. Well, and I think it's important too, and more on like a psychological side or a sociological side, like when your athlete starts to identify with the piece of, oh, I'm good at strength and conditioning, or I'm just a good athlete, period. I'm not just a good fighter. I'm a good athlete who fights, right? Right. Once you get that, that thought across that identification process with your athlete, I think then, again, you don't have to sell strength and conditioning anymore. You don't have to be like, ah, you need to do this thing two or three times a week. Like it's not hard to get them in anymore. It's part of the process. It's an understanding that this is an expectation. And then, you know, I think every athlete's like this. They like the shit that they're good at. hundred percent. So if we establish, oh, you're good at this at a young age to be like, oh shit. Yeah. Go get to lift weights. I'm good at that shit. Right. Versus fuck. I'm going to a gym. They're just going to tell me everything I'm bad at and what I need to work on. Right. But I I think, one of the main points you talked about earlier too is for at least, especially in my case for younger coaches or for newer coaches, younger athletes, it, it, there's, there's less of an ability to, to fuck up. If you, if you are going to make mistakes too, <laughs> I feel like that's something that should be talked about. Right. Yeah. Like if I'm working with an, uh, a older athlete, an athlete that's probably in MMA purposes, 33 and up is when I say older athlete, 33, 34. It's pretty, it's pretty aggressive, but we understand. But you know what I'm talking about, especially for the lower weight classes, like typically 38s at the end of the career. Oh, I know. So the last five years, how much are we really going to do a whole bunch like benefit? Right. But the younger guys, they recover extremely fast. Right. So even if you do overload them, if you're playing with like new working, like working schemes, if you overload them, they're going to recover a lot faster than that 35 to 37 year old. So, well, it's just, yeah, it's just important. It's, it's something to know that like, that's as a coach, I'm, I can't be the only coach that's like, oh, I really want to try this new thing out and I think it's going to work. That's kind of what I want to get to here is like, don't try it on the 35 to 37 year olds. Pick pick your 22 year old that's going to recover extremely well. 
Like that's, that's what's going to get you. If you need to try new training schemes or you need to try new conditioning methods, or you want to try a new exercise, those are the ones that are a probably going to benefit the most from it because they're so adaptable and B even if for whatever reason that you, you were to make a mistake and you, you overdosed or underdosed, you'd be able to pick up on it way faster on that you or on that, not youth athlete, but the younger, like 21 to 24 year old athlete. Well, you, you want to know the, the piece of strength conditioning coach fabric that you're missing here, Austin, is that you try it on yourself. Well, that's true. You definitely need to try it on yourself, but if you're not a professional athlete, you have zero idea how that's going to actually apply to an athlete. <laughs> yeah, well, but, um, cause I've tried no. shit on myself that I'm like, fuck, that's hard. And then I put an athlete through it and I'm like, Oh, I'm just not an athlete anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can be true. Um, it's a double edged sword though, because with that younger athlete that you keep fucking up with, or if you keep trying new shit on them, like sometimes they're not going to see it. And I guess it wouldn't be in our case, but in a coach that really doesn't have the right context for this or whatever, or doesn't see the consequences. Sometimes you don't see the consequences of those actions till eight years down the line at the end That's of your true. career. Yeah. Right. Where like, if yeah. you, if you're just conf- uh, consistently grinding your young or your up and coming athlete into dust, then you're, you're shaving years off the end of the career again. And you don't see that for years on end. So really be yeah. mindful um, I'd like to say I'm not advocating for that. <laughs> well, kind of sounded like it, but no, uh, but I'm saying like, if you're trying, you know what I'm talking about? You're trying out, like you want to do a new aerobic power, like block or something like that. You're doing multivariable aerobic power block. Yeah. You don't try it on the 36 year old. Like try that new thing on the 24 year old for a, for a month cycle and then be like, Oh yeah, that worked or it didn't work. Yeah. If you do it on so, the 36 year old, they're not going to be able to train the next day at wrestling. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Your young athletes will definitely recover faster. They're definitely a lot more robust to, to different challenges, which means they're probably doing a lot more in their training too. So oh, yeah. be conscious of, of the workload that they're under. And yeah, and I look at like uh, up and coming athletes too, is like, let's establish healthy habits for like, Oh, that's a huge time. one. Yeah. Because again, you're young, you can get away with a lot of shit that is not the best training mm-hmm. modalities. Right. In training, lifestyle, all of it, right? I can get away with, you know, I got to work my second job, so I'm only sleeping four hours at night, right? You can, some athletes can get away with that, and I have, I've seen it firsthand. But you have to understand that this cannot be an, a forever thing. Or, yeah, I need to work on my wrestling or jiu-jitsu, so I'm going to grapple every day, period, yep. every fucking day, all right? You can get away with that right now. But in three or four years, you're going to feel and look like shit if we keep that up. So... Um, I think contextualizing that and helping to establish those healthy training habits of understanding workload, understanding pieces of nutrition, and like you just get to layer discipline on discipline on habit on habit, and then we can ultimately build a better training paradigm or profile going forward. 100%. It's, it comes down to educating the athlete at a young age so that they understand what's going on. Um, like one of, one of the key points that you talked about is nutrition. I think the younger an athlete understands the the reality that nutrition is one of the top three most important pieces of their entire training paradigm, yeah. um, the better that athlete is going to be, and and the more longevity that athlete's going to have in their career. Yeah. Um, that was that's literally what kind of derailed my entire career is that I ate like a fucking child, mm-hmm. eat like a fucking child, <laughs> like, <laughs> but 
as soon as they can realize that, the more longevity they'll have because they're putting the right nutrients into their system for recovery. Right. Um, the other thing to counteract your point, the, one of the points though, is I'm a firm believer in you have to learn how to be tough before you can learn how to be great. Yeah. I think athletes that try to work as smart as possible from the onset when they're younger are the ones that never are actually going to truly reach their full potential because I think you almost have to overshoot it when you're young in order to dial it back in when you're a little bit older because you should really find your absolute thresholds. You should really find how far can I push myself when you do have the added ability to recover at a young age. You do have the extra testosterone in your system. You do have all of these different things working in your favor. And that's where like gyms that they kind of grind you a little bit. They're really good teams, but not there. I, I say there's, there's certain places that are really good at making people good. And there's certain places that are really good at making people great. Right. Yeah. I think when you're young, it's really important to learn how to be good. Yeah. It's really, really important to learn how far you can push yourself. And then you can scale it back when you start to get into higher level UFC fights, when you're getting into title fights, you're getting into like high pay fights, because then you know how far you can push and what a real eight out of 10 is. Right. And I totally agree. I think, again, you almost have to like earn your right to specialize or earn, earn your right to mm -hmm. um, pull back on your training and understand what you need versus um, what you're being told to do. Right. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it's almost like a taking it for granted for me, right? I think, like, if you come up in a wrestling background, right, you've done yeah, that. You, yeah. You've figured it out like, like to some point, to some extent, somewhere. Um, but, yeah, in MMA for sure because um, I think jiu-jitsu culture, it, it's a weird cultural dynamic, like, where a lot of the grappling sports, that's an inherent piece, yep. right? Where some of the striking sports, it's not because um, – I'm going to steal a, a point from Joe Rogan, like grappling, you can go a hundred percent. You yep. can train and full spar at any point, right? Mm -hmm. Kickboxing, uh, striking, boxing, all Muay Thai. You can't go a hundred percent all the time. You go a hundred percent all the time. You get knocked out, you're getting cut, you're getting this and that. So um, I think that's why you, it's a little bit easier to get that grindy mentality, that push um, while you're young in the grappling ar arenas. So I definitely think that there's time and place for that. And I think that's like seasons of life, right? Like, mm -hmm. and, and you have to have a coach that can see long-term for you that way. Right. Like right. at factory X, when we have our amateurs come up, um, the literally they have a, a, I think it might be a three part tryout, but I I'm really aware of the two pieces, right? You have your tryout where can you pass the physical tests? Can you pass the yeah. skill test? Will we let you come to the protein practice essentially? Mm -hmm. Yes. Second part of the tryout, you have to, have 100% bulletproof attendance to every protein practice. You have to get two extra sessions a week, whether it's a grappling, a striking class, whatever. Um, you have to have 100% bulletproof attendance for three months, yeah. right? Which is relatively hard. Like you're, you got to put your head down and, and grind and like may, really make that a number one priority. So um, I think we established a really good norm of when you're O and O amateur, when you're an amateur period, um, you have to put your head down and work right that's the the max holloway talk we've had like no sparring during camp sounds fucking awesome right yeah it's useless if you're not on the level of max holloway if you're not right. on that you know top tier level right you right. have he to learn, earned that you have to learn how to get hit you have to learn 
lift. He was like, yeah, and hopefully you don't learn that in the cage, right? Those are the hardest God, lessons you not. learn is learning them <laughs> in the cage. So, no, I agree. You learn a lot that way. Um, but then as a coach, you have to see the the progressions, the seasons of your athlete's career. Like, okay, they're starting to get it. Or like, you know, and it, it's fairly obvious if you pay attention to your athlete's body language, you pay attention to how they take on challenges, you pay attention to their attendance, their, you know, mental attendance. Um, this guy's got it or this guy doesn't, right? right? This guy knows how to fight versus this guy's a fighter. Yeah, and I think that's where the coach and athlete dynamic comes in because you can't – once you find the threshold that I'm talking about where it's like it's important to grind when you're young, you got to find your threshold. Hmm. Once you hit the threshold, that doesn't mean train there for fucking ever. And that is a, that is a paradigm that every wrestler ever has fallen into, right? That's the problem of the grind before you're great types type scenario. You need a coach to say once, once they recognize you hit the threshold, Hey dude, let's dial it back. Now, now, now that I know how hard you can push, let's bring it back a little bit and let's be a little bit smarter. Let's be more efficient. Let's make you more mentally aware because a lot of the time these grinders, they just grind to grind. They're not grinding to actually get something out of practice. They're just there to work hard. And that's once you learn how hard you can work, that's when your brain takes over. That's when focusing on the small details and actually being present in your sessions really, really matter. Yeah, and it's a gradual gradient, right? It's not like all of a sudden, like you had a fight, you did well, boom, you're a vet now. Let's pick and be really picky and choosy with our training sessions, right? It's a, okay, we can scale a little bit back on this thing because we know we have that kind of buttoned up. Let's push a little bit harder here. And then, all right, your workload last camp was a little too high and it was, it served us some purposes, but let's make sure our workload's a little bit better on this camp, right? It's a, it's a, um, an uphill process where you're not just all of a sudden there. Right. Right. Um, and, and those are a lot of athletes that you, you can refine the process. And again, unfortunately we see a lot of athletes that are, have a lot of success in spite of their mm-hmm. training habits, not because yeah. of their training habits. So I think delineating that difference is huge. And speaking of delineating that difference, I feel like that's almost step one when I get a, a veteran. Yeah. Right? I think, I yeah. think veteran is the respectable term here. That's when I get, uh, when I get a veteran <laughs> geriatric, <yeah. laughs> when I get a veteran to train, right. And I'm seeing them for the first time or like I'm coming into their, their training process a little bit later in their career. Um, that's like the first thing is like, what has served you really well? Yeah. And what are you having success in spite of, but you don't know is doing you a disservice. Mm-hmm. All right. So identifying mm-hmm. those variables and then, and then having the conversation surrounding them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, no, though, like, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge piece of whenever I get an athlete that's already in a bigger organization, typically they're going to be at least 28, 29 and they did something that was fucking good to get them into the UFC, get them into Bellator. Right. I don't want you to just throw everything away that got you there. We just need to refine. We need to figure out what helped you get there and what hurt you or what was potentially limiting you from getting even higher. That's, yeah. that's, that is literally, that's in my fucking intake forms <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because I, I need to know what your superpower is to steal what Augie and Eric and I know Lauren was the one that came up with it would say is I need to know what makes them feel like Superman. Once I know what makes them feel like Superman, that's always going to be in there, but then I can take out the shit. That's their kryptonite. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a, like you said, exactly a refinement process. You learn from that, but 
I think where we get a little too heavy handed, maybe as strength coaches, some tactical coaches, right, is like, I know what's best for you. We're cutting that thing out right the fuck now, right? That's yeah. not serving yeah. you, right? Like, you have to have a conversation surrounding it. Like, and almost every athlete's going to come to you and say, like, I work really hard. I'm a grinder. Right. That's what got me here. I fucking, I could put my head down and I'll do every training session. I'll grapple four times a week on top of practice and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I work really hard. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's challenge or channel that. Let's get that to the next. Because if you're a veteran and you made it to UFC or whatever, like you have the skill, right? You, you've checked the box. You're like, we have that physical piece down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's see where we can direct our mentality. Let's see how we can evolve in our, approach not necessarily evolve in our physicality right right um and then on a physical training front too as much as we talked about young athletes being robust and recovering quicker there's more to consider in an injury history mm-hmm. right you're not getting out of this game unscathed right there's more can to consider in an injury history there's more to consider on a um corrective you know a movement like functional movement patterning piece mm-hmm. right especially if you haven't been training and they're not accustomed accustomed to your personal coaching movement schemes right we can look at this athlete and say all right they're they're maybe a little more deficient here let's try and rectify that they're, they're super good at this pattern so let's put that in a box and we know we can lean on that when we need to and so you can analyze their movement from a different viewpoint than let's create and build up these movement patterns to a okay let's see how we can play with these stat bars and, and really maximize what this athlete has. Right. It's cool because like just how we talked about with, um, with young athletes, they don't come to you fucked up. Right. Veteran athletes, they can come to you with some really good fucking skills. Like Alex said, like if they took the time to focus on absolute strength, I know I can lean on that. That means that I, we don't have to spend a whole lot of focus on it. Typically what I see just the natural progression of strength and conditioning with the veterans that come to me, a lot of what I see is mobility deficits. A lot of what I see is movement reeducation when it comes to lumbar position and low back positioning and breathing. Um, a lot, of, a lot of it is the fine-tuned details that, if you're working with an athlete that wants to get better, they're they're extremely open to because they're like, I've obviously I've been doing it this way forever. It's worked for me in some capacities. But normally people that are making a change to, to joining a new coach or joining a new gym aren't at the, they, they aren't the champion, right? Typically when people find something that's working, they stick with it. Mm-hmm. So pe- veterans realize like, oh, this might be better for me. If this makes sense, this might be better for me, right? That's where I can implement my, my fine-tuned details. I get them recovering better, right? We focus on the breathing aspect of our, of our aerobic work or of our power work. Mm-hmm. where it's recovery first, not necessarily power generation first. Um, but for the, for the most part, that's the coolest part about vets is in my experience, they care more about the fine-tuned details and it's a lot of education and back and forth and questioning yeah. where we can really make big gains. Yeah, it's cool because they're open to that. They're open to the process. They're open to making some changes. They're a lot more uh, forthcoming with their aches and pains. Yeah, right? because yeah. they got more. They gonna right? fucking tell you. They got more, <laughs> and they got uh, more severe, probably hurt around wherever they're at. So um, you can correct, you can address that with some of your exercise or therapeutic interventions, and that's really cool um, because then you can create a good rapport. And it's like this thing works, this thing doesn't work. Yeah. Right. I love 
veterans, they're, they're going to be honest with you. They're going to shoot you straight. They're going to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, fuck that. I didn't like that. It didn't feel good. It didn't work, right? Or whatever um, on a subjective front where the the younger athlete is going to do it because you're the coach that told them what to do. So they're right. just going to do it, right? Um, so that's a, another really cool dynamic. And, like, with a lot of my veteran athletes, man, like, I learn a ton from them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, dude, yeah. Know, they've been around the block with the, the uh, MMA game. They know they've seen strength and conditioning from four or five different viewpoints at this point. Um, they have recognized what works in their body and their system. So I love learning from my veteran athletes that way and, and kind of seeing where they've been. And it helps me a ton. It's it's a different approach to training, which is, is really refreshing too because, you know, like as much as, you know, I'm still 28 years old and I can get with the like, let's crank fuck music, let's get after it type of shit. Like I can still get down with that. A lot of veteran athletes, like we're over that, right? Like, right it's not going to hype you up and that's not going to make my workout good. Right. Let's again, where can we put our attentional demand to get a, uh, a meaningful training session versus just a fucking balls to the wall training session. Right. And, and one of the things that I've found that works really well is like, not that we're not trying to make gains with the veteran athletes. We always are. But one of the best things you can do is make sure they feel good. Because guess what? These motherfuckers have been in the game for a little bit. If they're if they're called a veteran, they've obviously been yeah. doing something right to gain that veteran status. So the biggest thing is they already know veteran fighters know how to fight. Veteran know, for, fighters know how to perform. They know what it's going to feel like when they get into the cage. So what we need to do is make them feel the best way possible and as confident as possible. Yeah. So it gives you more liberties of I want them to feel good. Well, maybe we'll t- if if it's a seventy five minute workout. Maybe we'll spend the two minutes of having them roll out their feet on each side. So four minutes of the workout versus like the, the younger athlete. Maybe I don't have that time. Maybe I'm like, Hey, we got to get the fucking work in. We got to get that going. Right. Because it's not going to play the same benefits back and forth. Now that doesn't mean you don't do that. But for the most part, I get to play with different variables a little bit better with the veteran athletes because they're more willing to adapt to different stimuli that are going to make their body feel better. Sure. That's, that's really, I think that's a, a, an important piece of the puzzle, no matter where you're at. Like, um, one of the, the things that I actually heard Mike Guadingo talk about on his Mike Brooker podcast, he's like, one thing that I always think about when athletes come in the door is like, are you leaving feeling better than when you walked in? Yeah. Right. And that quote unquote feeling better means something different to every person, right? Mm-hmm. The, the veteran athlete, like maybe it's means like, they leave feeling more limber uh, and more mobile, right? And mm-hmm. their body just moves a little bit more fluidly. For the younger athlete, for the the up and comer, maybe that means my, I got a good fucking push. My shirt's drenched, and I feel accomplished and proud of that workout, right? right. So it's just like, what is going to be the thing in this workout that helps your athlete feel the best when they're walking out? It's something to consider. It's not the whole piece of the pie, right? Because right. When, some athletes want to come in and just stretch for 60 <laughs> right. minutes. Cause that's yeah, a, that's I, a good way to under train. They're like, right. Oh yeah, fuck. I just got to feel good when I leave. All right. I'm going to foam roll and I'm going to stretch. And that's all right. I'm so fucking, that's not, training. It's not the only consideration, but it is it a consideration, right? Because one of the things I hold true to is like, if your athlete doesn't feel benefit or like coming to the gym, then it's going to be a negative blip on their mm-hmm. radar. They're going to be less consistent. They're not going to want to be there. They're going to get less out of the training system. You still, need your athletes to want to be at your training facility right and long story short um the other thing that i consider based on what you said austin is like 
I've used strength and conditioning. We have like two big buckets, right? Right. Our, our first big bucket is performance, increasing yep. physical potential output, essentially. Um, second big bucket, reducing the risk of injury, right? Mm-hmm. Can we move, have better movement patterns? Can we correct some mobility, stability deficits or some strength deficits, right? Mm-hmm. How do we address those two things, right? And not that we throw one bucket out either way, we can just emphasize where we're putting more of our water, right? With right, the, it's a sliding scale. Exactly, the up and comer, right? We're putting, I think, a little bit more water into the performance benefit thing, right? right? We're looking at how can we build these capacities? What's our longitudinal benefit of aerobic uh, capacity, of strength, of some power, of learning how to do a clean, right? Mm-hmm. What's our, our performance capabilities there? With our veteran athlete, like we're shifting a little bit more of the spout towards our in reducing injury risk, right? What are the mobility deficits? How can we address those and keep your training schedule as is? Um, what are we considering from a point of you chronically feel your neck pain, right? How can we reduce that to um, increase your technical tactical sessions, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a shifting sliding scale of priorities in that case. Yeah. And it's cool too, because like at, with the treatment side of things that I do, you you can see that difference as well, yeah. where like, I don't need to treat a 24 year old rotator cuff as aggressively as I need to treat a 36 year old rotator cuff. Right. Like I can get away with doing one, like in, in my paradigm, I treat and train most people if there's any active injuries, right? I could get away with a 24 year old just spending an ex like spending 15 minutes at the end of the session, just needling and throwing some cups on and adjusting their back versus like, I would have to tell a 36 year old, Hey, come in for a whole visit. Like we're going to have to spend some time on this and really, really try to go after this. And it's just because their, their tissue is going to heal a little bit faster. So from like the healthcare side of things, it's really important to focus on who you're like to realize and understand the demands of the person in front of you, their abilities to recover as well as like how hard they can push in their sessions. Cause like there is also some, like some vets push fucking most vets know they already know their threshold yeah. so they can push as hard as they want. They know how hard they can go. They just are actively trying to scale it back and, and understand the movement demands and understand how their body should move. But it's yeah. a cool little dynamic between the skill coach where skill skill coaches like that's where like the young athletes really need to focus on everything is they need to understand the sport i think that's the biggest demand of a, of a younger athlete is like you just got to know it you got to make your movement literacy as high as possible from a strength and conditioning standpoint and power standpoint or sorry strength standpoint as well as the skill side but then you don't have to spend as much time on the recovery and on the the, the healthcare side and then once you have that then you have to focus on the exact opposite once you get to like 34 with mm-hmm. the recovery. You already know how to fight. Like you're adding fine-tuned details, but now you're spending all of your mental energy on how do I focus on making my body feel as good as possible. And that's where you really add in your recovery modalities. You're focusing on the healthcare side of things. You're watching as much film on your athlete as possible and watching your old fights as possible. You get into those fine-tuned details, the the, the cool details that are going to help you elevate levels. 100%. Yeah, mileage is a real thing too, right? If I've thrown this right hand as a 22-year-old you know, thousands of times, yeah, and then as a veteran, as a 34-year-old, I've thrown it hundreds of thousands of yeah. times, right? It's a different tissue um, that you're working on or working yeah. with, right? So mileage is a real thing. Um, but no, I, I completely agree with you that 
um, those priorities shift. And it's not to say that young kids shouldn't focus on recovery, right? If you can button those things down sooner, the better, right? Or it's not right. to say that, like you said, uh, veterans shouldn't fucking put their head down and work, right? It's just... Well, it's like what you were prioritizing saying. Prioritizing them. Exactly. It's everything in MMA and combat sports and all sports is a sliding scale. It's not just yes or no, right? When we think about like a stat, it always comes back to Mario Kart for me, bro. Like, <laughs> I fucking love that. I'm a big Mario fan. But like, it's all of these different stat bars, and we get to pick what stat bar we need to boost, or even at fucking, let's go 2K, because you get to actually increase stat bars and shit. You, you get to pick where you're at in your career. You can elevate different things. And I think there's a right way to do these different, at, at different stages in your career, what's more important to athletes to plus one, plus one, plus one every time you get a skill that you can apply, right? And when you're younger, you should really be plus oneing on the technical and the strength side of everything that you can, right? As you get older, it's more about prolonging your career and allowing you to have as many availabilities of fighting and as many opportunities to win a belt as possible. So that means you need to stay healthy. That's the thing that'll be limiting you. So you're going to increase, keep plus wanting that injury resistance, keep plus wanting that mobility, keep plus wanting that recovery and the healthcare. When that's that point of the career that it really fucking matters. Yeah. Yeah. It's like with any blades, right? Like young kids, you're like forging the blade. You're trying to create that thing. And the, the, the veterans, you're sharpening the blade. You're exactly how, how dangerous yeah. can you get? Right. Yeah. So, but no, I think that's a really good summary. Um, and there's obviously acute phases to this too that I don't think we'll get into this podcast, but could get into the future, right? If I have three weeks with somebody. I mean, that yeah. training is going to look a lot different than three months with somebody. So. Right. Like, it's important to know how long it takes to get certain variables. Sure. Sure. But, uh, but no. Meet your athletes where they're at. Know what they need. And then, uh, which takes experience. But you can also intuit a little bit of that stuff, too. Fuck yeah. Well, y'all, this is Building a Fighter. If you got to get a hold of us, all of our information is in the show notes. Um, if you guys have been listening on the old Spotify and or Apple podcast, that's always going to be available. We have also updated our podcast library on our YouTube page, which is popping. So we have video of our podcasts available now on YouTube. If you want to go and subscribe to building at Building a Fighter on YouTube, subscribe and all the video podcasts will be out in line with the actual audio podcasts. Um, if you got any strength and conditioning questions and or want to buy one of our programs we have available, we have memberships, we have custom programs, we have preset programs. Those are all at buildingafighter.com. This is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out. <laughs>